Good morning. If you could turn with me to the eighth chapter of Joshua in your Bibles. Now, if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to pull that out right now. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you've got a phone or a tablet, um, please open up either to Bible Gateway or the Version, the Bible app, and let's um, just have it open to Joshua chapter 8. We're going to do verses 30 to 35 today. Um, there are going to be a couple opportunities where I'm going to say, hey, underline this or jot it down, so be ready for that as well, because we're going to get into the Word together, and we're going to see some awesome stuff. After a disagreement, now, we never have disagreements, right? It's more of a, let's not call it a disagreement, it's a difference of perspective. It's not even a misunderstanding, right? It's that I see life one way, and the person I'm talking to, it sees it incorrectly, and we have to reconcile that, right? That's part of the, the problem, right, is that... We go into disagreements oftentimes, and rather than looking at it as, hey, this is one side, this is the other, we tend to see it only from our side. And so for me, personally, what often happens is at the end of a disagreement, once we've moved on beyond, and you, you know, 90% of the time, let's be honest, I'm actually the problem. Most of the time, there's, there's an issue. I, you're probably the same way. Whether it's in our marriages, in whatever it is, if, if I'm upset, I'm upset usually. Now, there's times where there's a legitimate thing, but so many misunderstandings and things happen, not because of what the other person did, but because I've somehow done something where I'm just overthinking the situation or I'm feeling weird about it. And so something I will do, whether it's with my wonderful wife, Laura, or whether it's with a coworker or a friend, at the end of a disagreement... I'll say, hey, are, are we good? Are we friends? And it's out of that idea that I just want there to be reconciliation. I want there to be a way forward. And we say, okay, yes, we had that time where we weren't on the same page, but let's get right. Let's move forward. Now, in the same way, that can be something that we bring into our spiritual lives. I want to be really careful because if we are feeling today like we're not right with God, right? If we're not feeling right with the Lord, it's not because God is a jerk. It's not because God moves. It's not because God changes. It's not because he's putting me through da, 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 da. Usually when I'm distant in my relationship with God, it's because of something I'm doing or not doing. It's because of attitudes and mindsets and barriers and thoughts and feelings and overthinking it and routines and all sorts of things. It has nothing to do with God. It's not a God issue. It's a me issue. It's a heart issue. And so this idea of, hey, God, are we good? This is something that we can really bring into our spiritual lives where we're just wrestling and, and we're saying like, hey, we made it to church today. Hey, we're tuned in. But are we good? I, am I right with the Lord today? Am, am, am I feeling and knowing that my walk with him is right and I'm following his ways? And now that's not just something that I struggle with. If you struggle with it as well, it's something that the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, struggled with as well. It was his ultimate question. He said, you know, I know I'm forgiven. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose from the dead. There's nothing more I need to do. However, and right, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. However, however, am I missing something? Now, the answer is no, we're not missing something. But that can be that question. Hey, are we good? Are we right with the Lord? Am I walking with him or am I doing my own thing? Now, what's amazing about Scripture is that we can use Scripture a couple of different ways. We can look at a story like Joshua, and we can see what Joshua did. And it's really helpful. Let's walk through. Joshua 
took over from Moses. Moses was the guy, you know, in the Charlton Heston movie where he put his arms up and the sea split and the Ten Commandments, the whole deal. The Israelites wandered for 40 years. And so they were in this situation where things were kind of wonky and strange and weird. Then the generation passed away, and now Joshua led this new group of people to cross the Jordan River to fulfill God's promises and to go into the Holy Land, into the, the new place where they were going to go. Now, here's the thing. Joshua was just a guy, and the people were just people. So we look at the Bible, and we say, oh, we don't think of them as humans. They messed up. They had issues. They overthought it. They did all the same stuff. They asked the same question, hey, God, am I good? Are we good? That I asked today. And so there would be times where they would faithfully and obediently follow God. And we see this early in the book of Joshua where they cross over the Jordan. God opens the sea for them. They, they go through. They set up a monument. And that's great. And then they reaffirm their covenant. They, they do the whole they circumcise a new generation. They say, hey, we're going to be set apart for God. And they have success. They go to Jericho. There's big walls. The walls fall down. It's amazing. It's awesome. But then immediately, instead of saying, hey, God, are we good? Am I right with the Lord? They start to get a little too big for themselves. And the person who gets famous is not God. It's Joshua. Joshua starts to be the man. And so they start to gloat and be all excited. And so now they go to Ai and they have a total spectacular failure because they're not following God. They're not praying. They're not stopping. They're doing everything else. And there's even theft, whole thing. They have to figure that out and get right. They finally do. They repent. They move forward. And now they have this amazing, in Joshua 8, not the part we're going to read, but before, I invite you to read this this week or today, they have this amazing victory at the town of Ai. They overtake Ai, they overtake the king of Ai. He's defeated, and things are good. And now, they're not going to make the same mistakes as before. They've had the moments where, ooh, I'm the great and glorious Joshua. Look at me. I'm so awesome. That didn't work out so great. They've learned, okay, the battle belongs to the Lord. God is the one who is leading. And so now what we're going to see in this chapter, in this section right here, is that they're going to reaffirm their covenant, the same covenant that Moses reaffirmed, that had the Ten Commandments, and they're going to say, you know what? We don't need to rethink things. We simply need to be faithful. And so what's exciting about this text for us is we can look at this, and I'm going to give us three words that are in the text that I think really jump out. And I invite you to jot these down this week, because when we're asking this question, hey, God, are we good? I got three words that we're going to really focus on. We're going to start we're going to stand, and we're, we're going to succeed. I'm going to ask you to write those down. Start, stand, and succeed. Because when we're asking this question, if I start out, and, and I'm trying to get right with God, and I'm saying, hey, I'm living today, I'm preaching this message, then I'm going to put Ruby, my daughter, down for a nap. If I'm making myself the king of my life, the Lord of my life, I'm not starting with humility. And that's what we're going to start with. We're going to start with humility, acknowledging that God is God and I am not. Let's look at verse 30 for a moment. And I'm going to invite you, grab a pen, grab a highlighter, or jot this down in your notepad, because look at these first couple words. Put this on your fridge. Get excited. Look at this. Verse 31. At that time, Joshua built an altar. 
Let's stop for a moment. I'll read the whole thing. At that time. We can come in today, and we're at that time. Now, it can be a great time. It can be a low time. It can be a medium time. doesn't matter. Today is at that time. So Joshua was in the shadow of success at that time he built an altar. That's terrific. We can do that today, and we'll talk about this in a moment. Starting with humility doesn't need to come when life is amazing, and it doesn't need to come when life is awful. It can happen at any time. At that time, Joshua built an altar. Let's keep going. To the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Again, we overthink things. At that time is such a key phrase. It doesn't matter what we're going through our lives today. We can start with humility. We can start and acknowledge that I am here to be a disciple of Jesus, to walk humbly, to understand it's not that I need to minimize myself. We have, we have in our culture a misunderstanding of what egoism is. Egoism is not saying I'm worthless, therefore everyone else's needs come before me. It's understanding my right place in the equation. It's understanding that I'm not here to self-sabotage and that's going to bring other people up. It's saying, okay, yes, I have to take care of my needs, but I have to be humble about it. And I have to understand that I have an amazing opportunity to walk with God in my life, in my family, in my workplace. I start with humility. And you'll notice, at that time, Joshua built an altar. We altar, it's really interesting. If someone came to our community today and they had no idea about our culture, you'd have to explain to them what a concept of a car is. But for all of us, even Ruby, my nearly two-year-old, knows what a car is. It's just an, a concept we get. In the ancient world, an altar was as common as a car. There were two types of altars. There were secular altars and there were religious altars. I want to talk about both for a moment. Do you have any Pixar fans who love the movie A Bug's Life? Okay, A Bug's Life is the best version of an ancient altar that I've ever found. In A Bug's Life, you've got a bunch of ants. And you've got grasshoppers. The ants are just the people, and they're trying to be farmers, and they're trying to live. And they have an altar. They have a stone with a leaf on it. And that's where the grasshoppers, do you remember the phrase, what they say about the grasshoppers? They, anyone? They come, they eat, they leave. And so they have literally a group of people, the ants, and a group of grasshoppers that come. It is a nomadic force that comes through and they're armed and they want to appease them. That happened in the ancient world a lot. You would have a group of people who were just trying to live their life and there'd be this larger force you had to pay tribute to. So you'd put it out on an altar, they'd take it and they would go. In a religious sense, it was a little different, but it was a similar idea. But instead of having a wrathful, angry group of nomads who you were afraid of, it was you had a loving God who showed mercy and because of your love and devotion to him in the, in the Old Testament, you would take grain or animals and you would put them on an altar and you would burn them and they would go directly to God. And it was understanding that we start with humility. I am not God, he is. 
I'm so grateful for the opportunities he's put in my life. I'm going to give a portion back to him, not because I have to, but out of love, devotion, and desire. Now, with altars, we no longer need to do altars. Altars are now more of a symbolic thing. So you'll notice that we have three altars in this church. We have one right here, we have one in our prayer room, and we have one in the fellowship hall. And altars are simply a way to acknowledge a force greater than ourselves. The Israelites acknowledged, at that time, Joshua built an altar. They acknowledged that God is great and they were not, so they gave him his rightful place after their victory. We can do the same thing. And so you're going to notice that on your way out today, we're going to have stones for you, and I'd love you to grab a stone. And it's not that we need to sacrifice something to God on this stone. It's instead that I can start with humility in my life. I can put this on my dashboard in my car, or I can put this on my nightstand, or I can put this on my living room. Put it wherever you are going to find helpful. And we say, okay, God, I acknowledge that you are great and I'm not. Thank you so much for the gifts of my life. Thank you for the amazing relationships. I'm going to follow you today. And so I invite you at the end of the service, take that stone, keep it in your pocket, put it somewhere, and remember we start with humility. And that's what Joshua was showing the people. We can claim a spot for God in our lives. Let's keep looking at the text, verse 32. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Okay, really, really important thing. The Israelites had a really big victory. It was great. The natural thing to do is if I come up with a really good idea, the natural thing is I'm so great, look at me. If I'm a leader, the natural thing to do is to come up with my patented ideas, write a book, and sell it, and get people, to, and I'm not bashing that, but I'm just showing you a different mindset, and sell it and get people to follow my plan. Joshua did not say, look, follow the Joshua method because now we've destroyed AI and Jericho. He did the opposite. He said, hey, we are here because of God's faithfulness. We have only come to this point because we've now been obedient. We had mess-ups, and now we're being obedient. So what they did is they remembered the covenant. They remembered the Ten Commandments, and they literally wrote them down on their altar because they said, you know what? It's not going to be that... I, Joshua, have the answers. God has given us the way we simply have to follow. And so that's what we have to do as a church. We have things written on our altars as well. This do in remembrance of me. Those are Jesus' words at the Last Supper, is that we understand that we do things not because we are great, but in remembrance of Jesus and the amazing things he's done for us in our lives. We live under God, under God's authority. And so, again... If you take that stone, let's take it today and let's say, okay, God, I can remember your commandments and your ways for my life. I can remember that you asked me to love you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love, the love my neighbor as, your, as myself. I know that. And God, you know what? Today I just commit my life that I'm going to make decisions. Not perfect, but I'm just going to try to obediently follow you. But an interesting thing happens, and this is something that Joshua gets and we often miss. If we start with humility, we can sometimes start with humility in a way where we then start there, but we go wonky. We go like, 
to a place that we shouldn't necessarily go. We think that sometimes we can solve our life with what's called a geographical cure. A geographical cure is simple. It's saying, hey, my life has ups and downs, and if I go blank, it'll be better. The grass is always greener, that idea. Now, in this text, we see that instead of a geographical cure, what we're asked to do is stand in position. This says it specifically in the text, and I want, as we're about to read verse 33, there is going to be an issue in the text that I want to see if you get, as we get the second point, stand in position. I want to see if you notice this. It's not that Scripture has a problem in it, like it's wrong. It has a, a thing in it that isn't the way we would normally do it in the world. There's something that's going to be God's way, not our way, and I want to see if we find it. Let's read verse 33 as we stand in position. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerzerim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. So this militarily makes no sense. Did you see something in there where they stood? Has it, do we have any chess players here? Does anyone play chess? Okay, you're not a chess player, so I'm going to tell you how to beat someone who doesn't know how to play chess. Ready? I'm going to give you a, a, a key. You don't know how to play chess, and they don't either. In the ancient world, let's be honest, they did not have brilliant military strategy. They were a bunch of people who didn't know how to play chess, playing against a bunch of other people who didn't know how to play chess. So the, the antidote for that, if you've got a chessboard, you get your high-value pieces to the center of the board, and then you've got a really good chance of winning. If you go against a chess master, you're going to get smoked. But if you are playing against someone else who doesn't really know, get your knights and your queen and your bishop and your rooks to the middle, and you're going to have a really good chance of winning. The same was true in the ancient world with military strategy. They just destroyed Jericho. They just destroyed Ai. Now it made sense to take their army and place it in the middle of the map, and now they'd have a chance to take everything else. However, they did not do that. Instead, they went on a spiritual pilgrimage, took their entire army to the side of the map, by the mountains, out of the way, in a position that militarily was foolish. Why? Because God had commanded them to do so. Because God had asked them, remember the covenant. Remember that when I gave the words to Moses, I was up on the mountain. Remember your place, that we stand in position. It's not going to be at the place that we find convenient and easy and desirable. It's going to be at the place God has put us. Sometimes God puts us in the shadow of the mountain, and we're sitting there being like, but I want to be in the center of the map. It makes more military sense. Now, we are dealing with what may be the greatest, I will tell you in terms of my email, shift of employment I've ever seen. And if you read articles and, and read the studies, people are moving like never before. This is a time where people, every day I look in my email and I get like three postings of job, job, job for internal postings through the school. I'm a school teacher. And we're seeing that people are just unprecedented moving. We're coming out of a pandemic and people are just going somewhere else. Now, I am not poo-pooing that. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying something different. I'm saying as Christians, let's learn to stand in position. 
let's learn to realize that God puts us here where we are. I'm here. Now, in the middle of the pandemic, something I started saying is, oh, I want to move to Idaho. I was getting really frustrated on things, and so I would say, I want to move to Idaho. That's it. So I'd go on Zillow, and I'd look, and you know what is in Idaho? Really nice, beautiful, um, wonderful fields and mountains and rivers, at least on the pictures on Zillow. I don't know if it's really like that. I've never been. But here's the thing. So I got all excited. I'm moving to Idaho. I want to move to Idaho. But then I started realizing I'm going to take the same David problems that happen here and go there. If I have a difficult time with a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or whoever, maybe the same people won't be over there, but it's really funny how the same types of people appear wherever we go. Because remember where I said 90% of the time it's my fault, it's my issue? We tend to sometimes bring out some of those things by things we do. So if I'm not focused on, okay, I need to live the right way, I need to follow God, if I simply move to Idaho, I'm going to have a lot of the same problems in Idaho that I have here. So it became a running joke in my family. And now when something silly or ridiculous happens, I turn to Laura and I say, that's it, moving to Idaho. And we know it's a joke. And to the point where other family members have now adopted the Idaho joke in it. But here's the thing. I'm not, if you're right now considering a move or considering a big change, I'm not at all saying don't do it. What I'm saying is don't do it without praying. Don't do it without bringing God into your decision-making and saying, okay, Lord, I'm feeling called to make a change. Are you leading me? Because he might be. I have a really dear friend who is hoping to be, in a year or two, planting a church probably somewhere in either Southern California on, on the border, somewhere in Southern Texas, a, a multi-ethnic church. And it's not that he shouldn't do that. He's making sure to take time and really pray through it and say, God, is this, Lord, is this really where you're leading me? And he hasn't made a decision yet. So it's not don't move. It's about understand that God puts us where he puts us. And we have this amazing opportunity to stand in position, to stay in our lane, to thrive. We may have a difficult coworker who we find difficult, but that person looks at us and we're the only Christian in their life and we're actually a blessing in their life. And they're like, wow, he's really a thoughtful guy. I, I just appreciate his perspective. And we may not know that. We may just look and see that coworker and just think, oh, they're so annoying. I can't believe I've had to talk to them on the way to my office. But the reality is, is that God has put the people in our lives he's put, and we have to stand in position. And that's what's amazing about Joshua. He's showing us that Good leadership also means understanding that we don't always have to just migrate to leave to do something new. Sometimes we stand in the shadow of the mountains and acknowledge God and say, Lord, what do you have for me here, even when it doesn't strategically make military value? And it goes back to that humility, because if I think that I am the great I am, that I have all the answers, then of course I'm going to just jet out of here and go, and I've got, I've got it all figured out. But if I start with humility and say, okay, God, you've put me where you've put me, Lord, how do you want to use me today? You know what's going to happen? I'm going to be a little less frustrated by that annoying co-worker, by that nosy neighbor, and I'm going to start to see that God's put amazing opportunities in my life. But here's the thing. If we do those things without listening, it's all for nothing. If, if, if we start by saying, okay, I'm going to be humble, 
I'm going to stand in the position God has put me, but we're not willing to listen to God, to his leading, to scripture, and to people around us. It does us no good. And that's why the, the third word we have is succeed. Succeed by listening to God. We're going to see this in a moment in verses 34 and 35. But listening is lost in our society. And I work with teenagers. Teenagers don't know how to listen. Do you have teenagers in your life? Can they listen? They can't. I'm going to tell you a secret, though. You can't, uh, I can't. We can't either. Here's the thing. As a society... Maybe you're, you're the world's greatest listener, and congratulations. But as a society, let's be honest, we really struggle with actually listening. I'm going to give a non-example of listening. Sometimes, have you ever had this moment? You're standing there, and you're looking. You've got nice body posture. You're standing there, and you're, you're open, open, and wow, look at this. It looks like I'm listening. You've got your hand in your pocket. Your phone's away. You're looking at the person, and they're talking, and you're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then as soon as they're done talking, what do we do? We just say the thing we were waiting to say. That's not listening. We struggle to listen in general. And if we have a hard time listening to each other, of course we're going to have a hard time listening to God. If we have a hard time listening to God, of course we're going to have a hard time listening to each other. It all goes hand in hand. We have to be open to listening. And if you don't believe it, let's look at a, an article from the Harvard Business Review. I'm going to read this for a moment, two little excerpts. Here's about listening. Because sometimes we think this is just an issue for some people. Let's look at this. Frankly, I had never thought of listening as an important subject by itself. But now that I am aware of it, I think that perhaps 80% of my work depends on my listening to someone or on someone else listening to me. Let's read a little farther down the article. I've been thinking back about things that have gone wrong over the past couple of years, and I suddenly realize that many of the troubles have resulted from someone not hearing something or getting it in a distorted way. Let's take a moment and let's guess what year that article is from. That sounds like it's written today, right? Sounds like a common issue. Someone throw out a, a year. What, what year recently do you think that's written? 1980, I like it. Someone in the last service said 2010. Okay. 1957. It was an issue then. It's an issue now. We can look at society, and I'm not going to comment on greater stuff. I'm just going to comment on listening. We can look at society and say, oh, we just don't listen to each other now, and we used to. I'm reading an article from 1957 where they didn't listen to each other. We're reading a text where Joshua has to literally train the people on how to listen to each other. So it's not like they used to get in, now we don't. We've always been bad at listening. Listening is really hard. And it's not just listening to each other. It's listening to God. It's understanding that God has ways and God has wisdom, and we can be open to it. We often, maybe not we, maybe I, I often feel, you know, I wish that God would just come sit and have a conversation with me and would tell me what to do in my life. Have you ever felt this way? I wish that, you know, I've got this hard decision that I'm going to make. I'm thinking of moving to Idaho. We'll use my silly example. I'm thinking of moving to Idaho, and I wish God would just sit down and tell me what to do. Here's a spoiler alert. We do have that. It's called the Bible. We have been given God's wisdom and God's words directly, and we can learn from it. 
but we have to be open to it. And so let's look in the text and see how Joshua is literally teaching the people how to succeed by listening. Because again, if we don't listen to God, we're not going to listen to each other. Let's look at this. Verse 34. And I'm going to ask you to underline a section, so get ready for that. If you've got a, a way to do that, let's do that. Verse 34. And afterward, he, Joshua, read all the words of the law. One need to underline that. Read all the words of the law. Now underline it again. Then underline it a third time. The blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. Again, I'm going to ask you, underline, read all the words of the law. We'll come back to that. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. All the words of the law. We have this thing in our society that has always existed. It existed back then. It existed in 1957, and it exists now. You may have heard about it now, but I will tell you, I can give you examples in the Bible where they've got it. I'm sure there were examples in 1957, and there definitely are now. Have we ever heard of a phrase called confirmation bias? Confirmation bias is the idea that I think what I think, and this is in all areas of life. Teachers have this. Parents have this. this. This happens in all areas. So if you're thinking, oh, he's talking about one thing. No, I'm talking about listening in general, and I'm talking about life, okay? Confirmation bias is simple. I believe something, and I look for proof outside of me that I'm right. That's confirmation bias. So I listen to things that I agree with. When I open the Bible, I love the book of James. So I only look at the book of James, and it makes me feel so good. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's so awesome. And I close the rest of the Bible, and I don't look at that because there's some stuff in there that's challenging. There's some stuff in there. Just, that book of Hosea in the Old Testament, oh my, let's leave that alone. But I love the book of James. Being open to all of Scripture, we let go of confirmation bias, and we realize, okay, yeah, we do have a tendency to look for things that agree with us. Yep. But do you see what Joshua has the Israelites do? They look at all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse. Did anybody wake up this morning and say, hey, I really want to read a curse. That sounds so exciting. You know, I, what I need in my life is I need a little more curse. I, I don't need that blessing. I, I got enough blessing in my life. I need some curse. No, but it's not that we're opening up the Bible and going to the supermarket and have a shopping cart and we're just taking what we like. It's we're understanding, okay, Scripture is written as it is. Am I getting to know it? Am I getting to know the ideas and the messages and the values contained in Scripture and applying them to my life? Am I listening to God? Because I will tell you, I have never gotten in trouble in my life when I've slowed down and tried to listen. I've never gotten in trouble to my life when I've slowed down and not tried to take the Bible and whack someone over the head with it theologically, because that's not helpful. But try to take the the ideas of Scripture, the lessons, the truth, and apply it to my life and say, okay, I need to be more loving and kind and compassionate. I need to pursue the fruits of the Spirit. I need to love God today and love my neighbor, even when my neighbor is really annoying. Now, I actually have great neighbors, but um, maybe you have an annoying neighbor. Because when we start to be open to Scripture— a whole new thing happens. It's kind of like, I don't know if we have any podcast fans, but 
if, if you like a podcast and then you hear about this really cool podcast, you get all excited and you're like, wow, there's this really cool one I've never heard about. I'm so excited to hear it. Okay. The Bible, when we get to know it, is like that really amazing podcast, only better, that has the really cool stuff in there that we can apply to our life. There is excellent stuff in there. Great leaders for thousands of years have based their actions on biblical concepts. Abraham Lincoln himself, if you read, you can go online and you can look at some of the works of Abraham Lincoln and some of the meditations. He's very much inspired by Scripture. And it's just so clear that when we take Scripture and we apply it and we listen to God, we start to experience success and we have that right mindset. And so here's the thing. If I say, you know, God, yeah, there's a lot of lessons in this chapter that are really helpful. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that I'm looking at, and I'm like, okay, yes, I need to start with humility. You know, Joshua had success, and, and, and he didn't suddenly say, yeah, I'm the best, but he said, okay, I need to build an altar to God. And so I can take a moment this week, and I can say, you know what, God? I want to start with humility. I want to give you your right place. I want to acknowledge that I'm not having success in my life because of me, it's because of you. So thank you so much, and I want to just set aside this space in my heart, in my life, in my household for you. And there are positions that we're put in. You know, some of us have amazing careers. Some of us have amazing families. Some of us have amazing communities. We all have this amazing church we're part of. We have opportunities to get to know people, to stand in position. God has placed us here, and he's not placed us here to walk in check off a box, leave, and go live life like we're not Christians. But he's asking us, hey, being a disciple means getting to know the people around us, getting to know the people that he's put in our life. And that success comes not when I come up with the amazing secret sauce for my life, but when I say, you know what? God's calling me to listen. He's calling me to first listen to him to get to know scripture. Maybe I'm willing to say, you know what? I've read a little bit of scripture, but I'd love to get to know the Lord a little better. Let's start today by starting to read scripture and start to say, okay, yeah, there's, there's these Bible in a year plan. Today is the middle of Ju July. I'm willing to, for the next year, start today. At that time, Joshua built an altar. I'm willing today to say, you know what, God, you're leading me. I'm going to start getting to know your word better today. And when we start to listen to God, it's so much easier to listen to each other. When we start to be willing to not have all the solutions and all the answers, but open up Scripture, it's amazing how much easier it is to see that if God says in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, then I don't have to be so crusty to the people around me. I can say, you know what? They're my neighbor. And what does that mean? And get to know them and really listen. Because here's the bottom line. If I'm feeling like I'm not right with God, if I'm feeling like something is off, I joked around before the service, something's rotten in the state of Denmark. That's from Shakespeare. If I'm feeling like something is rotten, something is off, I cannot control people around me. I cannot change people around me. I cannot make them do things. But you know what I can do? I can be obedient to God. And I can say, hey, God, okay, I'm willing to be humble. I'm willing to see you've planted me and put me somewhere. You've given me position, and I'm willing to listen. And he'll do the rest. Let's pray together. 
God, today we just ask that you would give us the willingness to set apart our lives as holy and living sacrifices for you. That we could see that you are not calling any of us to have all the solutions, but you're simply calling us to walk humbly and obediently. That we begin to be right with you when we simply learn to listen to you. That we begin to be right with you when we humble ourselves, remembering that Christ himself humbled himself for us. Obedience to the point of death on the cross. We're so grateful for his gift of salvation and we, we ask that we would not think that there's anything more we need to do. It's not that we need to earn our salvation or do something more, but simply that you ask us now to say thank you and to follow you. To say thank you and to see that you've put us in positions where we can make a difference. Maybe not world-changing, but something like being kind to a neighbor can be life-changing. And God, that today we would not try to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and write down new ideas, but we would listen to you and listen to those you've put in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.